Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And so much fun in store for today's conversation as Andy McNair is joining us for the pod today. And to be 100% truthful, and Andy, I'm just going to be complimentary right from the start. If I were to have a school, like if I can just make a school filled with whatever educators I would want uh, to be a part of that experience, I'd be calling Andy McNair up and recruiting her as one of the first people out the gate, to be honest with you, because I just love how uh, positive, creative, innovative you are. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to visit with you today, my friend, uh, as we're going to get into a conversation a little bit about interventions and how we might think differently about that from some of the traditionals and the instances where those pieces maybe aren't working for some learners. Uh, And so I'm going to open, I guess, by uh, saying that Andy is a digital innovation specialist at ESC Region 12 in Texas and give Andy a chance to introduce herself a little bit. So Andy, welcome. Thanks for joining us for the pod. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I'm always excited to chat with you. I feel the same way. Like, there's always these people that you just enjoy collaborating with and like you can get with and say all the things. And it's never like, oh, that's too big or that's too crazy. It's just like, let's just say it and talk about how we make it happen. So I always enjoy being here with you and having these conversations and looking forward to today specifically talking about something that has been on my mind for weeks, something I've been thinking about often and really specifically intervention, what does that look like and how do we do it in a way that is, like I always say, meaningful for our kids, but also manageable for educators as well. Oh, and I love that. And I, uh, what's kind of the backstory then for your thinking with this? I know we talked a little bit before we started recording on the pod about some things that are going on in Texas. And, and, you know, I think in the same way that our service units try to be responsive to the things that are going on statewide, obviously, and, and kind of being those boots on the ground, people that are making stuff happen with our districts as an intermediate agency. So yeah, what, what's going on in Texas? Yeah, it's such a it's such an important time right now because of something happening in Texas called House Bill 4545 and really has just stirred up that conversation of intervention and how we do that effectively. And, you know, one of the things that I really struggle with is when teachers are in a position where they feel like they're spinning their wheels, because I know that when I was in the classroom, there were so many times that I was trying to do something or I was trying to accomplish something. And, you know, we all want to have that impact on our learners and we want to see them move from point A to point B. And sometimes when that isn't happening, it can feel like, you know, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Or for whatever reason, I as an educator cannot take care of this one aspect. But the reality is there are things we have to think through in order for that to happen. And so one of the things that I've really been thinking about when it comes to intervention is what are some really practical things we can think through as we're working with these learners that need to move the needle, that we know are a little bit behind or they're struggling, maybe they're just struggling with one standard, but how do we move that needle forward and how do we be intentional about that so that we don't feel like we're spinning our wheels, so that we do see that progress that we're looking for. Yeah, and you know, as I hear you share that too, I know that there might be people listening that go, well, I am being intentional. I am trying. I'm trying really hard to make this happen. Uh, But I love the conversation we're going to have today a little bit about kind of asking ourselves to think outside of our normal approaches potentially to some of those things, Uh, right? Am I I summarizing that okay? No, I think that's perfect. And I'm so glad you said that because I think that's so true that I know that so many times in my classroom, that is exactly how I felt. Like I am being intentional, but I only had so many things in my toolbox, right? There were so many things that I knew about. And as educators, we're so busy. There's so many things on the plate 
that oftentimes some of the things we need to think through, either there's not time to do that, the resources aren't there, whatever that looks like. And so I think it's just really maybe thinking through things differently, having a different perspective, but that's what I love to do for educators is understand you guys don't have the time to do this all of the time. And so if we can give them those resources and help make it make a little more sense, that's what I absolutely love to do for sure. <laughs> oh, me too, which is why I'm glad we're having this conversation yes. today. So uh, so let's start to talk about that then. If As you think about what it means to practically break outside of the way in which you might traditionally look at a support for students or and those intervention methods, wh where do you go with that? Yeah, so I think when you think about intervention, I think first of all, it's important to acknowledge, and this is one of those things that it seems like well, yeah, we know that, but but I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in just doing what we've always done. I know I did in the classroom, like I just did what I knew. And so I can remember when I had students who were struggling and sometimes I would do things like, oh, you didn't understand it today at nine o'clock. Well, then uh, you're gonna stay in during this time and we're gonna go over it again. Or maybe you come in early in the morning and we do it again. But what I sometimes didn't do was I didn't realize that during that time I needed to do something different. And that seems silly. Like it seems like, well, it makes sense to do something different. But I think sometimes we think that harder, faster, more is going to solve the problem, right? If they can just see it more, I can just do it again. But the reality is, and some kids that works for, but for most of our learners, the reason they are not understanding it or the reason they're not making progress is because they need something different. And so I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Really, what are those different things that you can put in place? What does that look like? And I think there are three things that you can do. And so I'll kind of summarize them now and then we can get into them. Um, really thinking through a different strategy, a different voice, and a different motivation. So we can kind of break those down. But when I think back to my own time in the classroom, I just wish I would have been more, like I said, intentional about figuring out what is the different thing that this learner needs. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And I think another reason we can fall into those traps of just trying to revisit the strategy we did the first time is because that strategy, we've seen it work for maybe half the class, 70% of the class, 90% of the class. And so that's affirming for you as the educator because you go, well, it's working for other people. So I, I, I'm teaching this clearly. Uh, but maybe for that learner, it's that's not the, the avenue, right? Yeah, so, so I think thinking about that first one, different strategy, when we talk about that and kind of think through what that looks like, sometimes this is where innovation comes in. This is where we really have to think differently about what we're doing and how can I do something that maybe I've never done before, right? How can I do something that may even seem a little bit risky or so different that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that? But if you being uncomfortable results in the learner understanding whatever it is that you're teaching, then I mean, 100% go for it because either way, if they weren't understanding it anyway, it's not, that's not going to, that's not a huge deal. And so I think innovation plays a role in this. I think this is why it's so important to be connected educators because for me, so often I read something on Twitter or on LinkedIn or Instagram and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've I never thought about that. Like I would have never thought to try that strategy in this situation, but sometimes seeing another educator do it can give me the confidence or the kind of at least willingness to try that. So I think learning new strategies you can do by reading blogs, uh, being connected on social media, just learning from the teachers on your campus or in your district, watching them. I, I just think there's so many ways to do that. But oftentimes 
a different strategy can change everything. And hearing you share that reminds me of a story. So I'm going to go on a little bit of right here of, of where this happened with two teachers that it was eye-opening to me. And I think to them as well, I worked with two science teachers once in an earth and space course where we were talking about personalized learning a little bit and thinking about offering their students different strategies to how they were uh, going to go about. Uh, I think in this instance, it had something to do with naturally occurring phenomena in science. And uh, these two teachers on this team had worked together for over 10 years. And they had a contentious start to their relationship that they had grown to just sort of agree to disagree and do their own respective things in their own respective rooms. Uh, right. And so because they were being asked to do this in one instance, they said, okay, well, I know you teach it this way and, and I know I teach it differently. And so one time in our entire you know, 12 years of being on this team, we're going to teach both. And they did this and they were shocked, each of them, because they came back and said that 50% of their students did the one that they personally preferred that worked for them as teachers the way it made sense to them. And then about 50% did the strategy that the other teacher would have recommended and done. And then they reflected and thought for over a decade, looking back on it, is it the case that 50% of those students could have been a little bit more effective had they just taken the time to teach a second method? Yes. And so we're like, you know, when you know better, do better. But um, so don't feel bad about that. But it, it was but it's shocking, you know, I, and, and I think that that just speaks to your example here. I love that, that uh, breaking outside of the strategy that we personally prefer can really help benefit learners who don't necessarily think like us. Yeah, I think that's, man, that story is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, even if you watch another teacher do it and you're like, man, that is definitely not how I would teach that. Or, that is definitely not how I would get this across. That doesn't mean that that's not how your learners will understand it. So I think that's so true. And I love that you said, because that's one of my favorite things to say and remind myself of is when we know better, we do better. Because looking back, I can think of so many times where if I would have, when I was in the classroom, if I would have just been willing to try another strategy or willing to, but I, sometimes I was so sad. I'm like, this is like, I'm killing it. This is a really <laughs> good strategy. Um, why can't you guys understand it? But recognizing that, you know, one of the things I often say is it, we've got to stop asking, how will I teach this standard and start asking, how will they learn it? And oftentimes the answer to that, how will they learn it? is not the same, which is what makes teaching so hard. Everybody's different. But but I think considering a different strategy and that story is perfect for that can really be beneficial and can help us move that needle if some of the other things that we've tried hasn't. Where do you find time in the rhythms of the day then to employ that different strategy, right? So we talked a little bit about additional time maybe. Um, yeah, where, what recommendations might you have for teachers as far as making that new strategy available? Is that something you do at, from the start? I do. I always think front loading is a good idea. I think anytime we can be proactive versus reactive, that's beneficial. So if I can know going into a learning experience, you know what, there are going to be different kids in here that are going to learn this a different way. Are there two options like you just talked about? Are there two options that I can provide or can I just have one in my back pocket? So when I see those looks of like, what are we talking about or what's even happening right now? I have that strategy to pull out. So again, I think it's just about that intentionality of being proactive and recognizing. And, and what I don't wanna do is say that every time you design a learning experience, you need to design two. That's not the case. It's designing the learning experience and just looking for those little tweaks you can make when you have those kids who don't understand. Gosh, and I love just the word experience. Experience, it's coming from their uh, perception of that process of learning uh, and operating from that spot. 
which I think kind of brings us to maybe thinking about what it means to have a different voice as well in terms of that experience, right? Yeah, this is kind of my favorite one because I, I'm a very collaborative person. I love to talk to other people and hear what they think. And oftentimes they'll say something and I'm like, man, that is, I wish I would have said that first. That's such a good idea. Um, but as I think about these things and I work with people and learn from them, it affects my entire, it's oftentimes not just what they share with me in that moment, but it affects so much of the work that I do moving forward. And I think the same is true for us as educators when we are teaching students and we're working with them, oftentimes when we see that look of, I just don't understand, feeling like that is only on us and that we have to solve that problem alone is an incorrect assumption. And I think sometimes the classroom can be a lonely place, right? It feels like this is me and my learners and I'm responsible for every one of them. And I think nothing could be further from the truth. A campus and a district, it's a community. And so who can you pull from in that community to help you with that specific standard or topic? So if you're teaching it or they're learning it, and you see they're not understanding it or you're not making progress, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to another teacher that you know has had progress in that area and saying, you know what, we're struggling here. Can you help me with this? And not feeling like that makes you a weak teacher or it, it signifies struggle. I think that makes you a better teacher and a stronger teacher. And I think it also just begins to create that culture of collaboration on a campus. So that's why PLCs are so important, not just to get in there and check boxes, but to really be able to say, hey, I did this in my class and it really worked well, or I did this and it really didn't work well. That way that honesty allows them the ability to say, well, since you did that well, could you help me with this and I can help you with that. So I think working with other teachers on your campus, um, I think also pulling in outside experts. Sometimes a kid just needs to hear how do they use this beyond the classroom. I know my daughter is like that, like they can teach her something, she can learn it, but she needs to know how it connects to the real world. And so sometimes when we see somebody using that skill at a restaurant or, or when we're out and about, that's when she makes the connection. So I think a different voice could be an outside expert who says, hey, this is how I use fractions every day. And then finally, I think an outside voice could be a peer. And I always say, I'm not a fan of peer tutoring. Like, I do not like the whole idea of, you know, okay, well, you're done with your work. So you teach this kid how to do that. I think that's a bad idea, not a good strategy. However, I think if both learners benefit from that experience, in other words, if we're thinking about the protege effect and the student teaching that other student is gaining a deeper understanding or they're gaining collaboration skills or communication skills, that's when that's beneficial. So whether that different voice is another colleague, an outside expert or a peer, I think it's really important that we say as educators, we shouldn't be alone in this. It's okay to reach out and ask for help when we're not getting across what we need to. That was a long way to explain that. <laughs> those are, but those are all really great examples, Andy. And I, as you were talking, I started to think point by point about, okay, where can I make space for this? How do I get time to like bring these people in? And uh, would love to kind of entertain that with you too. And from the like colleague perspective, I thought about, so I have two children that are both elementary school aged and you right. see this all the time. It's, well, I don't really teach science very well, but I love English and my teammate uh, is the exact opposite. And so students end up flipping classrooms and teachers, you know, to go and learn from the expert on their team. Uh, and so I think this, this stuff kind of happens naturally, but I love what you said about PLC time too, and making it a point to have those conversations with your colleagues. So that if, even if it's not, I mean, could it be a different voice 
kind of through you, I guess, by talking with them and learning and then bringing that strategy back or that like different analogy back or. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really, now that we're talking about this, I really like the idea of in a PLC, maybe just allowing the last five minutes of every time teachers meet to be an opportunity to say, you know, answer these two questions, what's going well, what's not going well. And, and that way, everybody's in a place where they have to answer those. And there's nothing wrong with saying, here's what's not going well. And so I, I like the idea of just being really, again, intentional about that. And at the end of PLC time, all right, you guys, you know, there's five minutes. We want to make sure that we have time to answer these two questions. What, what are you doing well? What are you not doing well? And how can we support each other in that? Yeah, I love leading with the positive one, too, by the yes. way, so that it's not just a, oh, I'm still writing my what's not going well down, venting, but we all got to do that, too. But it's, uh, and I'll I like tell you, as an educator, there were weeks I could have probably just filled the list on what I'm not doing well. Like, <laughs> well, how long do we have here? <laughs> oh, same, same. Uh, and OK, so then there was that as far as voice and then these outside experts for someone who isn't in the routine of reaching out to people from outside their classroom. Uh, where would you go to track those kind of folks down? I, as a secondary teacher myself, we reached out to an author once through Twitter, uh, who then uh, was able to, at that time, Skype in. And I think Zoom over the course of the last two years really has given us uh, a lot more access, I would think, than we might have otherwise had the tech skills or know-how to be able to facilitate. So what would you say to someone that says, I would like to reach out to an expert? Where, where could I find them? I think a couple of things. I think social media is always a good idea. Again, I know finding the time for that. I know if I was in the classroom right now and I was listening to this, I'd be like, oh, that's a great idea. Let me just carve out an hour of my day to look, at, look for outside <laughs> experts. That's a good idea, Andy. But what I think you can do is, again, I'm a big fan of front loading. And so when we were looking for outside experts, obviously because of genius hour and passion-based learning, this was a big deal in my classroom. And so we used a tool called Padlet. And if you haven't seen Padlet, it's a digital bulletin board. And so we would just go on that Padlet and post. We never put student names or you know anything like that, but we would post what we were looking for in our experts. So I almost think you could every six weeks kind of think through, hey, what are some experts we might look for? Post them on that Padlet, uh, attach a Google form so that if they want to be an outside expert, they can connect with you. And then just share that Padlet out, share it on social media, share it on Facebook with your community, share it with all of the teachers in your district. And just let people know these are the things we're going to be learning this six weeks or this nine weeks and I would love to have people hop in and share their perspective. I think that's one way to do it so you don't feel like you're constantly looking for outside experts if you can kind of front load that on Padlet or maybe you do it for the semester and I don't think you have to have an outside expert for everything, obviously, but pulling one or two in every so often is is a good idea just letting learners hear that different perspective and connecting with the work is important. Oh, well, and to your point there, when we invited the, uh, the author in, we we're writing on author's purpose. And so of uh, course, it made a whole lot of sense. And they were scribbling down, you know, quotes that they end up using in their essay, which was cool. And subtle plug for our Invis site here in Nebraska, because we have a, about 140 virtual field trips, which in most cases uh, are talk to an expert. Um, and so particularly, at, I feel like at the elementary level, uh, there are a lot of people in the arts or work for a zoo or a children's museum or one of our historical sites across the state. Uh, it's really great that you can make those connections and most of those are free. Uh, and so there's a place to check out that kind of stuff. That's very, very cool. I love that you guys have that. What a great resource and a perfect way for this to become a reality. So yeah, we want to make this practical from the top. That's what we were talking about. So yeah. Uh, and then I'd go to the last one here with uh, voice. How do you get students to 
work together like that in that protege type of dynamic? You know, it's interesting because when I think about this one, I'm going to share a quick story. I share this story all the time, but it's such a perfect example of them learning from each other. So we went on a ski trip a while back. This was when my kids were younger and we um, put our kids in ski school, but our oldest was too old to go to ski school. And so when we kind of got to the trip, they had told us he's too old for ski school, but he can go to the refresher course with you guys. And so he went with me and my husband to the refresher course. And we got about halfway through the refresher course and the instructor came to me and he said, I just can't teach him how to ski. Like he just can't, he can't stop. He, he's got everything else down, but he can't stop. And I remember looking at the instructor and being like, well, I'm kind of paying you to do so. Like, are we going to figure <laughs> this out or what's going to happen here? And he just said, you know, my best advice for you is to just go let him practice, practice, practice. So we did, we went and practiced and Andrew, I'm telling you, that kid could not stop to save his life. Like it got to where we were just clearing people out of the way because you know, when you're skiing and you can't stop, you just fall over and he's a pretty tall guy. So we were just like, all right, this kid can't stop. Going down. Well, there came a point where um, finally Corey, our oldest looked at me and he said, you know what, mom, can you just, can you stay down here? And so we went to, let me tell this part because this is important. When we went to pick up the other two from ski school, they not only knew how to stop, but they were like skiing without poles and they were doing the whole like side swap. They had really learned how to ski well. And so that was frustrating for our oldest because mm -hmm. he, you know, if he would have had that much training, he would have been the same way. So we, we keep practicing. He can't figure it out. And I keep trying to teach him. And finally he looks at me and he says, mom, I need you to stay down here and I need Katie, that's his little sister, to take me up here and, and let me just go with her. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. Like I can, let me teach you this. And so finally he talked me into it and he, they go up to the top of the bunny slope and I'm waiting. They take forever to come down. Finally, they, I see them coming. I'm clearing people out of the way. And he comes to a perfect stop at the bottom of the mountain. And I was so frustrated, right? I was like, were well, you just holding out on me? Like we've worked so hard on this. What did she do that I didn't do? Because I felt like such a failure. And, and he looked at me and he said, mom, he said, we, I fell down several times. And he said, finally, Katie got in my face. And she said, hey, do you see all these girls on this mountain right now? You look really silly right now. Put your skis together and stop. And he looked at me with his sweet little eyes and he was like, and so I did, <laughs> right? Like it just took a different perspective. He just needed to hear it a different way. And I love that story because it speaks so much to them learning from their peers and hearing that different voice. Because if I would have, you know, dug my heels in and not let him go up there with his sister, we would probably still be learning how to ski today. But because I was willing to say, you know what, obviously I'm not doing, you're not getting this from me. And I, I wasn't happy about it, but letting him learn from her changed everything. So that different voice and that peer voice can have a much bigger impact, I think, than we sometimes imagine. Well, Andy, I got to say this too. You could not have set up your next point any better because surely your son's motivation was also changed by having that different voice in his, in his world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and that was it. Like, I didn't know what to use to motivate him, but she sure did. She was like, all right, we got to pull it together here. There are other kids here and we look silly. Um, and, and he, he's such a good skier now, but man, it took him a while to get there. Okay. So the next one is that idea of different motivation. And I think this is huge because whatever motivates a learner is what is going to drive how successful they are. It's not always about us as educators and what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong. Oftentimes it's about what's going on 
inside of their mind and the connections that they're making and how motivated they are to learn it. So I love Daniel Pink's TED Talk. Uh, if you haven't heard it, you definitely should check it out about intrinsic motivation. And he talks about how important that is and how much more powerful intrinsic motivation is than extrinsic motivation. And I think we know that in education. I think it makes sense, but so often extrinsic motivation is just easy. You know, if you'll do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. But the problem with that is it doesn't result in deep understanding. It may result in checking off a box for the moment, but then when that learner is expected to do something with that standard or skill later, they, they may not remember it. They may not, because they only did it in that moment to get that reward. And so that intrinsic motivation, he talks about three different things. He talks about mastery. Some kids are motivated by just understanding it. I just want to master this for myself. Sometimes it's autonomy, giving them choice. They're motivated by being able to drive the learning themselves. And then sometimes it is purpose. Um, and that's kind of my favorite, right? When they're driven by, those are those kids that say, why do I need to know this? Or what am I going to do with this? Those kids are oftentimes, they're asking why do I need to do this? And, and I'll say, I think there's a really easy way to know who those kids are. Um, I just yesterday on Instagram shared a quick story and talked about something called purpose statements. And I love the idea of at the end of class, at the end of any learning experience, asking your learners to complete the sentence, today I learned blank so that I can blank. And it's the so that I can part of that that, that brings purpose. I'm not just acknowledging what I learned, but I'm acknowledging why I learned it. And those students that can do those purpose statements really well and make those connections really easily, those are probably going to be your kids who are driven by purpose. And then your kids who respond to choice boards really well or ask questions like, hey, is there a different way I could do this? Or can I show you I know this a different way? They're probably driven by autonomy. And then those kids who are just like, did I make a 100? What did I, you know, what's my grade? Oftentimes those are the kids I think driven by mastery. So I think there's lots of different ways to figure that out, but I think motivation plays a big role in thinking about intervention and how we can impact that learner. Gosh, and all that is so consistent with what you've shared earlier and thinking about it from the learner's lens, learner's experience, uh, yeah. and that experience is motivated by very different things. And I think often we consider, well, it's the grade, it's the grade, you should care about the grade because as teachers, we probably, I mean, we should, you know, obviously value that students are finding success in that avenue in class, um, even though there's a lot of different ways to define success, right? But uh, it is interesting to think about those things. I, what you shared there, too, from Daniel Pink kind of harkens back to some of that Bartles game theory stuff, too, that I know people in the, like, games and education community get back to where, you know, are you in it for the competitive challenge of trying to one up and, and essentially assert academic dominance over other people um, versus being an achiever who just does it for things like the grade. Uh, and then there's also explorers, which I think really kind of aligns a little bit with those that are asking for purpose and autonomy, uh, yeah. you know, wanting to be able to sort of navigate an experience in their own way. And, uh, and then socializers is also a part of that, where there's that community aspect of things. And so, but yeah, I'm going to watch a Daniel Pink TED Talk after having heard you recommend it. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, and awesome. we'll just invite educators to really, that's part of intentionality is thinking about the learner's why, right? <laughs> Oh, it's huge. So I think, again, I, I look back on my career and think about so many of these things. And 
I, I began in the last few years in my classroom to think through that and it was a game changer. But I think about so many students and I can think about specific learners that now when I, as I listen to his TED talk and I listen to those pieces, I can think through like, oh my gosh, that's, I, I was missing their motivation. I didn't see it. I can see it now, but I didn't see it then. And if I would have been able to understand what motivated them to learn, I could have moved the needle first so much faster. Second of all, I could have moved it so much further if I would have just been more intentional about understanding their motivation. Well, I tell you what, half hour goes really fast uh, when we're having a conversation and uh, I can talk all day with you, Andy. This is great. Sharing some real practical ideas about intervention and different ways to think about our support of learners as they, we all need it. We as educators all need that to effectively reach every student, which is where our heart is for this work, I'm sure. So to bring this thing to a close, uh, let's just say this, if, what message would you leave educators at this time, just as kind of like a parting insight on this topic or just in your ponderings at the moment, I guess? Oh gosh, I think as always, the first thing I would say is just thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, please know that it does not go unnoticed that you guys are, um, it's tricky right now and there's a lot going on, but just thanks so much for the work that you do as educators. I would also just say that when we think about this idea of intervention, just consider maybe sometimes these things can be really heavy, like gosh, those were three big ideas. Maybe just pick one. Like I'm really gonna focus more on finding out my students' motivation, or I'm really gonna focus on bringing in a different voice or a different strategy. Just pick one that you feel like you could implement and make that happen. So I just appreciate the time and appreciate being here and being able to share, because it's just sometimes good to get these ideas out, <laughs> just to get it out of my head and somewhere else. Oh, I'm always happy to uh, make a little space for that. And I, I'm always better from getting a chance to chat with you too, Andy. So thank you so much oh, for your time. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back on the pod again soon. Yep. Thank you so much. And I feel the same way. I always enjoy visiting with you for sure. <laughs>